electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The Powell countdown, the Fed chair speaking in less than 90 minutes, remarks that are likely to move markets today. We'll discuss and debate how to respond no matter what Jay Powell says. Joining me for the hour today, Surat Sethi, Kerry Firestone, and Joe Terranova. Everybody's here at the desk, and it's good to see all of you. Good to see you as well. Let's check the markets. We're just past 12 noon in the east, and we've been really in a wait-and-see mode for Powell over the last couple days. Dow's down 140. NASDAQ's a bit positive, and the S&P 500's flat, 377. The yield on the 10-year note. So, Joe, we got jolts were less than expected. Yes. Chicago PMI was just flat ugly. Uh, pending home sales down again. You told me yesterday that you expect a, what, calming or comforting Fed chair today? Well, you asked me the question yesterday on overtime, how does the market rally? And I said the way for the market to rally is that Chairman Powell has to comfort a market that this week is upset. It's upset about the development surrounding Apple and the production of its iPhones. It's upset regarding China and COVID and the protests. The market last week, Scott, one week ago, we were talking about breaking out above a 200-day moving average. We had positive momentum going into Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. The market was up at 40, 40, 45. Okay, we're 100 handles lower right now. All right, so what do you do with all that information? The way for the market to rally is we can have a repeat of Jackson Hole. We can have Chairman Powell come out today and channel his inner St. Louis. <laughs> Eight minutes of a hammer. We, we, yeah. we can have him be James Bullard, okay, within his speech. Okay. Extreme hawkishness isn't going to go over well. It's going to send the market lower. The way the market goes higher is you comfort a market that's upset by not being overwhelmingly hawkish. That's the setup. Okay. Um, and I wonder, Carrie, if the chances of that are slim and none and Slim just left. Look, the economy is obviously weakening, okay? At a time when the Fed is talking incredibly aggressively, including the Fed chair himself, that's not good for stocks. And on that note, just before we came on the air today, Marco Kalanovic, JP Morgan, uh, widely followed strategist, uh, says the following. And remember, he was more bullish than most. When most were negative, Kalanovic was trying to be more positive. That changed a bit about a month ago. Now he sounds downright bearish. He says, quote, we believe that further market and economic weakness may occur as a result of central bank over tightening. Right. That's my point. What we're just discussing. The economy's weakening while the Fed is staying on course and being aggressive. He continues, quote, previous lows in equity markets are likely to be retested as there may be a significant decline in corporate earnings at a time of higher interest rates. Market decline could happen between now and the end of the first quarter of 23. One can imagine market turmoil as soon as the end of this year, similar to the 2018 episode, downside risk in the near term. So that's from Marco Kalanovic. I mean, that's pretty much in your face, negative. Well, definitely. But 
what we have to think about is the data that Jay Powell will address when he talks today. We, we know that there has been some reduction in the rate of increase in inflation. We know. We saw that in the CPI. We saw it in the PPI. We've seen a number of tech companies laying off people, not just small layoffs, but big layoffs. So we're going to get back to the conversation in just a moment. I'll take it to New York City. Andrew Ross Sorkin is speaking right now with the Amazon CEO, Andy Jassy, at DealBook. Let's listen in here. A year and a half later, is this anything of what you expected was going to happen? You got this job in the middle of the pandemic. Um, the company was in super growth mode and trying to build out to, to, to deal with uh, all the consumers out there. The stock was through the roof, and here we are. Yeah, a lot has happened in the last few years that I'm not sure people anticipated. And you know, If you just look in 2020, our retail business grew 39% year over year on a $245 billion annual run rate, which is unprecedented. And it forced us to make decisions in that time uh, to spend a lot more money and to go much faster in building infrastructure than we ever imagined we would. We had built a, a physical fulfillment center footprint over 25 years that we doubled in 24 months. And we made that decision even though we, know, we knew we might be overbuilding because it took two years to build fulfillment centers at that time. And you had to make, it was hard for us to imagine what 21 was going to be, let alone 22, but we decided that we were going to shade on the side of, of consumers and sellers who didn't want to be constrained. And, and so that was a big um, decision that we made. And then, you know, this time last year, it looked like we were coming out of the pandemic. And, and then Omicron happened and the war in Ukraine happened and the inflationary environment that we're in happened and, you know, now a very uncertain economy. And so those were things. I mean, there, there are issues that not just Amazon is dealing with. Most companies are dealing with a number of these issues in some sort. And so it, just looking at what you know, how consumers are adapting to the environment is one of the things we're trying to figure out. When we see consumers right now, uh, you know, being very thoughtful about how they spend, trying to stretch their dollars. It's why if you look at, they're looking for deals, they love stocking stuffers and discretion. Have you seen a shift? I mean, this last, you know, Thanksgiving, Friday? Yeah, we, I mean, you see, it's very clear that consumers, they're spending but they're being careful about trying to stretch their dollars. So they, you know, we spent a lot of time having millions of deals available for Black Friday and Cyber Monday in the last, you know, the Turkey Five that people call it. And people care a lot about getting a bargain right now. And they, you know, they, they were attracted to stocking stuffers in, a, in an even more pervasive way than normal. In discretionary categories like uh, computers or electronics or TVs, you see people trading down in models just to try to get more for their money. And so that, you know, it's why we spend so much time with our third party seller, sellers uh, and selling partners uh, having a really broad array of selection. And we did a bunch of advanced inventory buying to make sure we were in stock on things and we worked really hard and having great deals. And, you know, you have to make sure that you do a great job getting items to people reliably and quickly. And in difficult and uncertain economies, We've found over time that consumers are very careful about who they choose to partner with, and they go with people and companies that are going to take care of them and that are going to provide a great customer experience. And that has always been something that we have focused very squarely on. You recently announced layoffs at the company. This is the first in a very, very long time. Um, and it's still in process. So what does that look like to you? And, and also, when do you think you realized 
that this was going to be needed? Because I was going back and watching some old interviews of you, even back in September, and I think you thought at that point maybe it would be no increase, no increase in hiring, but probably not going in reverse. Yeah, you know, this is the time of year we do our operating planning, and it's really, we've been doing it over the last four months or so, and I've, I've probably gone through, along with the senior team, 50 or 60 of these operating plans. And Are these the, six, the famous six-pagers? They are all six pages in the body and then an appendix. Um, and <laughs> How long is the appendix allowed to be? You know, there is no limit to the appendix. <laughs> and people take advantage of that lack of a limit. Um, but uh, but it, you know, they're very thoughtful. It's a, it's a much better way to go through information, in my, period, in my opinion, than, than through PowerPoint, where you just don't get into the detail. And uh, in any event, we've been going through it, and it's a time of year where our leaders look at where they want to spend resources and where they should adjust. And you know, this year, we had the lens of a very uncertain economic environment, as well as our having hired very aggressively over the last several years. And I think as we went through our plans, you just started seeing, um, you know, over the months, pretty, pretty similar trends where uh, the economy was, was more uncertain. We were seeing things that were different from what we'd seen before. And we just felt like we needed to streamline our costs. And, and our goal, really, in how we've gone through the operating plan has been to um, very, very thoughtfully but... Um, uh, um, uh, but thoroughly go through the plans and make sure that we, where we can, we streamline and cut costs, but at the same time, we don't compromise on the key strategic long-term bets that we think can change the company. And that's how we've tried to view these operating plans. And just as we've gone through them, as I said, you started to see some trends, and we started to realize that um, some of our cost structure, when you look at different sensitivities, some of our cost structure was out in front of where we thought we wanted to be. And we made the incredibly difficult decision. At first, you're right, one of the things we did you know, was to, to pause incremental hiring. But as we went through the plans, we realized we needed to, to be more slim on some of our resources. And if, you could go back and, if you could go back and do the big expansion during the pandemic again, what do you think? It's, it's a really interesting question. I mean, and it's, it cuts across a, a few different dimensions. I mean, there's there's the actual infrastructure build-out and then this people expansion. And I think on the infrastructure build-out, given what we knew at that time, given how long fulfillment centers were taking, given that we're going to always shade on the side of customers, I would have done it again. I think it was the right decision. I think the team made the right decision. And we knew when we were making it that we might be overbuilding, but we knew we would grow into it, and that's happening. And, and um, I think we're going to always err on the side of customers. I think on the people side... You know, it's when, when businesses are doing well, and we had a number of businesses that were growing really quickly, one of the reasons that we were growing quickly was that we were doubling down on the things that were working. And, when, you know, knowing some of the unusual circumstances that have arisen over the last year and a half were hard to know. And, uh, you know, I think, so I, I don't necessarily think it was the wrong thing to have been doubling down because we were growing so well and we had so many ideas that we thought were good for customers and good for the business. But I think it's a good lesson, I think, for everybody when you're hiring, even when things are going really well, that it's, it's good to think about if there's some kind of sudden change, even one that you just have a little bit of a hard time imagining, would you like the incremental headcount that you're adding at that right. time or do you want to be a little bit more conservative?
I want to talk about people in a moment because there's a question we should talk about labor. But All right, I, we'll I take it back uh, there from the DealBook. Uh, we'll continue to monitor Andy Jassy, that conversation that he is having right now with Andrew Ross Sorkin. But it's clear he's presiding uh, over a, a changing company. Right. Uh, thousands of layoffs, which he addressed there, a stock price that has disappointed Mr. Jassy, the CEO of Amazon, of course, suggesting consumers are being more careful now, he said, trading down to cheaper products. He said, quote, we need to be more slim as a company. We'll continue to monitor, as I said. But let's get back to our conversation because it plays right into, I think, what we're talking about. Right. The economy is changing. Right. It's slowing. And the risk is that it is doing all of that while the Fed chair is doing what he's doing. Okay, it's to the crux of the Kalanovic note and the dangers of tightening more aggressively than is necessary into an economy that may be slowing more than people are giving credit to and the impact for stocks. Yeah. So the implication of the note that Marco is is suggesting that we're going to have a hard landing, that this is going to be something severe, that there's no way that the Fed can back off without pushing us into a recession. And what we're hearing from companies, and you just heard it, is that they are understanding that business is slowing and they've taken moves, laying people off. In, in tech particularly, but you're hearing it in retail also. If you looked at the target numbers, it's soft, and they're taking measures. And when you discount as widely as we're seeing, that's deflationary. There are moves that the Fed is observing in home prices, in commodity prices, in labor, where they may say, there's a chance here that we can do this without pushing us over the edge. I'm not suggesting it's going to happen, but he's saying it isn't going to happen. And for what we do professionally, balancing a portfolio set, you're not all in cash or you're not way out over your skis and you're not you're somewhere that's both defensive and taking advantage of some prices so that if we do have the soft landing, then we can participate in that rather than being just so defensive. We miss that home. Seems like, Surat, the window for a soft landing is getting um more, you know, narrow uh, to try and do that. Uh, Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson, I, I don't know, you know, if, if all of you caught this or not. Uh, he was on Fast Money last night and said he's looking for as much as a 24% drop from yesterday's close into early next year. So, you know, he's been negative, as you know. He's not changing his stripes in any way. You should expect an S&P between 3,000 and 3,300 sometime in probably the first four months of the year. That's when we think the deceleration on the revisions on the earnings side will kind of reach its crescendo. Bear market's not over, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know the, the story that he has been telling for many months now, but he's sort of doubling down on how ugly it might get. 3,000? Yeah, look, I think the question is going to be what are earnings going to come out in the next couple of quarters? And we know we've been through a period of the last five to ten years where really the market's expanded because of the P.E. expanding, and now you're going to see the P.E. compression and, and that's really going to happen because the E's coming down and the P is going to follow the same way. So I think the question is going to be how consumers are going to react, how companies are going to actually sell products. And if you've got a combination of layoffs and you've got a demand destruction, you could see a period of softness. The question is the degree, as to Karen was saying, is it going to be hard or soft? These are kind of just multiples that are being applied to kind of the first or second quarter earnings. And that's also assuming that the Fed stays its course and does not cut rates. So you've got a whole bunch of, you know, inputs in this cocktail yeah. that can move the market in many different ways. You given like a No, I, I just look. listen, the, the point of a stress test is not to give the patient a heart attack. Okay? <laughs> the Federal Reserve needs to lower the speed at which the stress test is being conducted. I understand if they want to extend the time of the stress test, but they're going to give the patient a heart attack. They've affected what they can affect. 
they could affect asset prices. They don't want to admit it, but that's the reality. Well, they can affect they can more affect than that. Asset prices can affect more than that. Can they increase? They've the obviously s- affected housing. Can they increase the supply of housing? Can they increase the barrels of oil? This is a supply issue. This is a supply challenge. There is no need for a hard landing to occur on Main Street. Thankfully, Main Street so far has circumvented the type of hard landing we're experiencing. Yeah, but that's where the greatest lag is coming from because the amount of stimulus okay, so that was in to? Main Street. I'm sorry. Jassy, I mean, listen to Jassy himself. I'm listening to him. So, right? okay, we want Demand. people to lose their jobs? Well, is, does yeah. that make Is there any logic in we'll be happy when we see the unemployment rate go higher so people can't pay for goods and services and now they lose their job? There's no logic in that. Yeah, We're using an antiquated play. We over inventory people. I mean, during COVID, there was an over-inventorying. Companies just land grab, just hire people. Look at what Jassy said, right? Yeah. Quote, we need to be more slim as a company. How many CEOs across the corporate landscape right now are thinking the same sort of thing? I think we 100%. need to be more slim. 100%. The problem is, is that to your point, the Fed wants them to be more slim. Well, that's They've the said way, it themselves. That's the way yes. they're going to cause They've said it themselves. Right? They have a higher tolerance for a higher level of unemployment at the current time because they think it's one of the only things they have to crush demand. I'm not debating with you, but right. are, are, are we to believe that that resolves the problem that we have with inflation? I'm not so sure it does. You know, I, I just feel like, OK, you, you know, Wilson saying what he did is is no great surprise to any of you who are watching the program right now. Okay. Kalanovic. Um, sounds more negative than he's been in a long time. And that's a, a difference maker in some respects. So, too, maybe our next guest, Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research, is, is with us again. And, Ed, I have to say, you know, we've had many conversations, and I yes. think I have a pretty good memory on, on what you've said. And something's really jumped out to me yep. today where you, where you say, and I, and I quote, the bottom line is that even with our relatively optimistic economic and earnings outlook, it's mm-hmm. hard to see the S&P 500 rising well into record territory over the next two years. Sure. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like you told me three, four weeks ago, you feel like we're going to hit a new high next year. And I feel like that's changed. Well, uh, you know, I worded it rather carefully, I thought. And the idea is that I don't think we're looking at a... Uh, uh, a tremendous bull market uh, up ahead here, given that valuation multiples are still quite high. And of course, there, as you said, there's a lot of controversy about the outlook for the economy, whether it's sort of soft or hard landing. I'm in the soft landing camp. I think earnings are going to go sideways for a while. I think it's going to be a stock picker's market. I don't think a passive investment is go- is going to work as well. But the, the bottom line of my thinking is that I think we could be, you know, getting to 4,800. Uh, by the end of next year, and uh, but I don't know that we're going to go well, uh, well above that. Uh, I think that's about as good as it's going to get. Yeah, I know, but well above that. I mean, even forty-eight hundred Ed sounds like sure. a pipe dream at at this at this point in time. Well, you you even suggested to me on overtime within the last week that we might get no landing, right? That the economy is so yeah. good that it just keeps humming along. I well, mean, I, I got Kalanovic over at J.P. Morgan saying that the Fed's going to kill the whole thing. Well, you know, uh, so he's turned more pessimistic, and uh, I, I've kind of uh, held my own position here, uh, which is uh, that the, the main difference between myself and the consensus is I think the consensus, and uh, now we see Elon Musk joining that consensus, is the recession's coming. And uh, my view is that the economy has proven itself to be remarkably resist- resistant. Again, we're talking about a hard versus a soft landing. And what did GDP do today for the third quarter? It was revised up to 2.9%. What's the Atlanta Fed saying about fourth quarter? It's around 4%. Uh, 
what is the data showing about the consumer? They continue to spend, and it's not just excess saving. It's not just that they're borrowing more. Payroll employment up uh, four million people so far this year, and I think the big story up ahead here is wages are going to rise faster than prices. I think the big story is going to come, and and you you you, you can challenge me on this uh, uh, the, the morning of December thirteenth. I think we're going to continue to get evidence, as Karen said, that. Uh, Inflation is moderating, and uh, the market has demonstrated that that's what they want to see, uh, and that makes them very happy, and that uh, increases the likelihood that the Fed is pretty close to terminal uh, tightening. And I think the yield curve uh, suggests that as well. Yeah, um, I'm looking at the rollover in the S&P as we're having this conversation. You know, you had Andy Jassy. I mm-hmm. mean, he's the CEO of Amazon, of, yeah, of all not- places, Okay. Uh, suggests that consumers are being more careful. And these are his exact words. They're trading down, right? We need to be more slim. I mean, he's giving you a sort of dour picture of the economy that he sees well, lying he, ahead. And, and at the same time, a Fed chair who in an hour and 70 minutes is going to likely suggest that they need to stay the course. Yeah, I think what the stay the course is going to turn out to be is that they're going to do maybe another 75 basis points. It could be 75, uh, you know, at the next FOMC meeting. It could be 50, 25. And then I think stay the course means that they're going to keep interest rates uh, steady for a while at, at a relatively high level. I, again, I think the surprise is we are kind of going back to the old normal and that the economy can sustain that, that the economy can actually live with uh, an interest rate with inflation around 3 to 4% with interest rates around 3 to 4%. It's done an awfully good job of it so far. You know, we've discussed housing, for example, and everybody keeps focusing on single-family housing activity. Multifamily is doing extremely well and accounts for half of housing activity. Look at capital spending. We've got a tremendous amount of onshoring going on. We see that industrial equipment production all-time record high. Uh, going back to housing, construction production of material, production of construction materials has been flat uh, even though uh, housing starts have, uh, have, have gone down. One last point I want to make, and that is fiscal policy. There's a huge pipeline of spending in, in, in fiscal uh, stimulus. Usually fiscal stimulus occurs late in the recession. This one's got a pipeline of it. I mean, this is a dramatic rollover I see in the market as we're having this conversation. And maybe it's a Kalanovic haymaker with uh, piling on by Jassy, giving you a real CEO view sure. of, of how cloudy the skies may, may be getting. And, yeah. you know, for all of those people suggesting that, oh, the, the consumer is super strong, um, maybe we are witnessing yeah. the earliest part of a, a weakening consumer. And, yeah, and maybe there's a, a hell of a lot of doubt, too, in the picture about yeah. what the Fed is, is going to do and whether they overdo it. Yeah, I, I mean, all those points are extremely valid. And all I can tell you is I don't mark my forecast to, to, to the market on a daily basis. And uh, all I can tell you is, uh, based on the way I see the resilience of the economy and the data, I think we're going to have a soft landing. I think the market has uh, been worrying about a hard landing. And if I'm correct, uh, we should we should hold the lows that we made back in uh, October 12th. OK, um, um, thank you so much for making time for us. We saw your oh. note, uh, certainly piqued our interest and wanted to have a conversation directly. So that's Ed Yardeni, the president of Yardeni Research. Part of the weakness of late has been to tech, right? Apple hasn't been able to find any footing whatsoever. Coming up next, we got Mark Newton, Fundstrat's technician, talking directly about Apple, what it means right now to this market, where it might be trading, 
in the days and weeks ahead. Uh, we have a sell-off underway. Certainly a different picture than we had when we came on the air some 22 or 23 minutes ago. We'll continue to cover that next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right. You see the markets are down there. We've gone through a couple of the calls that are out today suggesting more downside might be ahead. And a key question in all of that is what role Apple might play in that narrative. Let's bring in Mark Newton now. He is the global head of technical strategy at Fundstrats. Good to see you again. Got you on because you had a note today suggesting you you see some stabilization, but a rally that fails and breaks below 134 in Apple. That's a that's a painful level. Yeah, increasingly, Apple has started to show more and more signs of technical weakness, Scott. Uh, the stock has largely been range-bound for about 16 months, uh, so it hasn't really gone really anywhere uh, for, for a, quite a time. But we all know Apple's up you know, over 160% off the, the 2020 lows, so it's been a broader outperformer. Now we're seeing signs that that might be changing. So the real key level near term is going to be 134, and if Apple gets under that level, then just given its weight in the S&P, it's up, I think, more than 7% of the S&P, up more than, you know, 13% in the QQQ, that would be a, uh, you know, a big negative, I think, for the stock market. And we start to see increasingly more and more weakness out of technology than we already have. Is it likely that it's going to breach that level? I think it will. Uh, you know, it, it's difficult to say it's going to happen right away. My thinking is it's probably more likely... Uh, in January, February, than right away. But it, it's definitely a level that investors have to keep an eye on. I mean, Apple has always been the most important stock of you know the market in the last couple of years. But you know, increasingly, just given this weakness, that's really important to investors uh, to watch and make sure that if that level is breached, then that means that you know tech is certainly going to begin you know potentially a period of final capitulation for this sector into first quarter of next year. Is tech most at risk today to a hawkish pal? Uh, that's a great question. I, I think a lot of it uh, depends on what happens with the 10-year. You know, my own thinking is 10-year getting back over 391 is a big warning sign. For S&P, you know, that same level is probably right near, you know, 39.12 or so. 39.06, I think, was the most recent lows in the S&P. 
getting under that would be a big warning sign. So uptrends are still intact with the S&P. We've been up seven weeks in a row, over 10%. You know, no signs yet of the market truly rolling over, even after four down days. But if we start to get under 3,900, that's going to be really a big deal for the market, I think. It would mean that December is going to turn out a lot less rosier than really what many think. We'll see what role, if any, the Fed chair himself plays in any of that in about 60 minutes' time. Mark, I appreciate it very much. We'll see you soon. That's Mark Newsom from Fundstrap. I think we can kick around, Carrie, on the desk here, an interesting note uh, that some have out today discussing which of the mega cap techs are most uh, at risk, you know, or, or less so in the most bearish of scenarios. And it's apropos to the conversation that we started this program with, with Jassy of Amazon. They say uh, Amazon has the most downside, Microsoft the most insulated in a bear case scenario. You want to weigh in on that? You, you own both of those stocks. Yes. So I think Amazon has suffered the most, um, well, Meta, but uh, of what we just talked about, Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. It's down 45% this year. I mean, the stock's been cut in half. And what we've heard is that they're getting religion about costs and trying to be effective and efficient in the way they grow the company. So so our feeling is that there is um, there's less downside in Amazon because of what it's gone through and what the the, um, the management is talking about. If we look at Microsoft, Microsoft has been under a halo, as has Apple. You know, people love it. And Microsoft has maintained a high multiple through throughout this um, last year and a half when tech has softened. It's come down, but nothing like Meta or Amazon. And, you know, we're underweight Microsoft. We're overweight Amazon right now. We're underweight Apple, um, which most of the world is because it's such a large weight. But I, but I think that right now you've got the COVID risk and China problems that mm-hmm. are affecting Apple more than any of the others because it's a manufacturing company. This is a Jeffrey's uh, note, by the way which I, w- I wanted to mention, too. They're the ones who put that out, the most downside, and the most insulated. Uh, Surat, Meta has the least downside in Internet in a bear case scenario, they suggest. Um, just what's your general thought on where we are yeah, with I mean, these stocks that are so super important to the overall market? So interestingly, Meta is downside because it's down, you know, 70 percent from its peak. And, and because right now it's, well, what else can Zuckerberg do wrong right at this point? So I think you've got that protection in terms of the some of the parts is much greater than the, than the whole. I think I agree with the Amazon piece. Uh, you know, we're underweight Amazon, but I think the two things that are going to affect them is one retail and the margins that they're going to get out of it. Because don't forget, they've spent so much money. So what is that going to do to their margins in terms of the, the long term? And then AWS has so much competitive. Uh, you know, you've got the competition coming from Microsoft and Google. So I think in the short term, Amazon's probably got more downside, even though it's come down quite a bit. Newton's, Newton's uh, note, uh, the suggestion of what Apple might do is uh, right into your negative market scenario. Yeah. Right. We, I mean, you've made, you've made the case yeah. amid what it's become a bit of a debate as to how much the market actually needs tech. And if it doesn't, because value and, you know, other things have picked up the slack for where tech has failed. Okay, so maybe it doesn't need the totality of tech as a sector, but it needs the mega cap component of it at least to behave in a way that's consistent and allows for the market to recover. It can have Apple significantly under pressure, challenging key technical areas every day. That 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 just holds back the ability well, for the market to rally. It doesn't. I would only make a nuance there with you of that it doesn't the market 
doesn't necessarily, I don't think, need tech to rally. It needs it needs tech to have any sustainability to the rally. The market's proven Probably. that it can go up without without tech. Yeah. But it's, if you're going to have anything sustained yeah. of yeah, any magnitude, of the market. you need it. I would agree with that. I think I think that's certainly fair. And just just on Amazon, Amazon needs a buyback. They need an aggressive buyback. Yeah. It's, an, it's It's been long enough. Right. They need to complement yeah. exactly yeah. the strategy. But, of, because oh, if you remember, the last buyback they had was like this nothing. big. Yeah. Right? They, it was kind of like a rounding error. They can touch sure. to it. All right. yeah. Coming up, CrowdStrike is getting crushed today. Shares having the worst day on record despite an earnings beat. It was the guidance that seems to be the issue there. Joe Terranova, he owned the stock heading into the report. We'll find out what he's doing with it now. Is he selling? Is he sticking with it? The answer is it next. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Oh, it's a big day uh, full of Fed speak, including Fed Governor Lisa Cook. Let's get to Steve Leisman in Washington with the headlines there. Steve? Yeah, thanks, uh, Scott. A speech before the speech, new Fed Governor Lisa Cook saying she anticipates ongoing increases in the target range. She says the search for a sufficiently restrictive rate, which she says the Fed needs to get to, is only going to be learned over time. So she doesn't seem to have a preordained notion of where that goes. She is mindful, however, that policy or these rate hikes operate with long lags um, and saying as a result, it's prudent for the Fed to move in smaller steps than the Fed had been moving in. The Fed will keep at it, she says, until the job is done. Inflation remains much too high, though she has seen some improvement. She called the October inflation report, quote, encouraging, but she's still cautious as that is not enough for the Fed to turn course on. Core goods inflation is slowing. That's good. But as other Fed officials have done, she's pointing to services inflation said it's not yet slowed or certainly not yet slowed enough. Uh, and it may prove to be more persistent and keep inflation or the overall levels elevated over time. And another area that she and other Fed members are looking at, wage growth, she says, remains above the level consistent with 2% inflation. This is largely a very interesting speech about productivity. She notes that productivity growth has been lackluster in recent years. It is a cause for concern. Some people have suggested that low productivity growth is a reason for a higher funds rate because it's a more potentially inflationary environment. She did note, as we've been talking about, Scott, consumer spending remains resilient. And now, I guess it's just about 43 minutes until the big speech of the day, Fed Chair Jay okay. Powell. Scott? So I got, a, I got a few things for you playing off of, off, off of these comments. Um, she says that the consumer uh, remains strong, okay? I just had the CEO of Andy Jassy at the beginning of this program suggest that the consumer isn't remaining strong, that the consumer is being more careful, that the consumer is trading down. And for a variety of reasons, that many companies are now going through, they need to become, in his words, quote, more slim. Um, she also says we're going to keep at it until the job is done. Well, how are they going to know that they're not breaking something while they're still doing the job until they figure or decide at whatever degree they decide that they've gotten to that it's done? Uh, her answer to the second question is that's why they're going to go in smaller increments, Scott. Um, and, and they're going to have to get a feel for where that sufficiently restrictive rate is. 
Uh, it is not science, Scott. It is art, or maybe that's overstating how nice this is. It's not necessarily art. Maybe it's graffiti is a better way to put it. Um, and it's very hard for the Fed to know that. And in the past, as you know, they've gone further than they needed to go. Um, I do think there is a growing minority on the Fed that's a little more outspoken about concern about lags about the economy. You saw that language come into the uh, the um, uh, into the statement last time around. So perhaps uh, there is a slowing coming. There's definitely a slowing coming. And maybe early next year, I think I still think, Scott, they're going to get to that five percent range using their models that suggest they need to be at least there on the consumer. Scott, what I'm hearing is very sort of uh, uh, bespoke to each company. I've heard some companies say consumers fine, consumers doing well. And then you look at those retail sales reports we had, look at the GDP report from the third quarter. The consumer continues to spend above and beyond the inflation rate that's out there. That's what the data say. Um, I would just be a little careful about one company's anecdote being overall evidence. Well, I mean, Steve, this is Amazon, right? Right. This is not, you know, mom and pop shop. Didn't they just say they had their best didn't they just say they had their best uh, Black Friday ever? Yeah, the consumer is spending, right? The consumer, of course, is, so, is, is case closed, right? buoyed by the case fact closed, that they have all this money and they have credit cards. No, it's not case closed. It's what lies ahead. It's that the Fed doesn't appreciate enough about how things are changing and maybe how much more quickly they're, they're changing and that they're going to overdo it. It goes to the Kalanovic note from the top of our show, Steve. We believe that further market and economic weakness may occur as a result of central bank over-tightening. This is somebody who tried to give the Fed the benefit of the doubt and now doesn't seem to be able to do that anymore. Yeah, but did you see what happened, Scott, with, with autos? Autos are up to 15 million units. Uh, cars are still moving off the shelves, uh, not the shelves, off the lots. Um, you still have housing at 1.4 million annual units for, for new construction. Uh, I, I'm having a hard time. Uh, Scott, we can argue opinion about the future, but the future is not fact, Scott. It's not something that one is necessarily right about. I'm saying there are different paths, different ideas out there. Barclays, for example, just pushed, pushed ahead its forecast for a mild recession from the first quarter to the second quarter. I have GDP running at 2%. In general, Scott, the economy accelerated in the second half of this year. I'm saying there's a second idea out there. Maybe the guy from Amazon is factually correct about the future, but we won't know it until tomorrow. I know you got to run. And, and look, and, and Kalanovic, who we, who we cited, and I cited with you, understands the risks to his view, which includes, as he says, continued consumer and corporate resiliency, pushing out the downside market scenario to late 23, or a sharp near-term decline in inflation that could prompt a Fed pivot without significant economic damage. So I get you, nothing is set in stone, and uh, therein makes for the good debate, which uh, we always have well, with you. Let, let me just ask you this. Let, I, I'll leave you one, one, one quick thought. Mm -hmm. All of the people who bet against consumer and corporate resiliency in this quarter, in the second half of 2022, they're wrong. They're wrong right now. Mm -hmm. They may be right in the future, but they're wrong right now. And, and they, I've heard those guys come forward and say, you know, where's the recession we're going to have in the fourth quarter of 2022 after a year of tightening from the Federal Reserve? It's not here yet. Maybe it's coming. Maybe that's factually accurate. I'm just saying that's a matter of opinion and forecast, not fact. Well, what you did was just drop facts, though, Mr. Leisman. We uh, will see you in, in a bit. As we said, we're less than an hour away from Powell himself. He's going to give us something to chew on, no doubt about that. That's Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. Up next, CrowdStrike having its worst day on record. Oh, Joe Terranova, he owns the stock. We'll find out what he's doing next.
Welcome back. Crowd strike. There it is. 20 percent. It's the worst decline on record after a weaker than expected outlook. Joe Terranova, you were with me yesterday as this number hit. Uh, I know the gut punch that you felt because it was obvious and you owned it, uh, saying that you were wrong. Mm -hmm. The question is, what do you do with the stock today after you've had, you know, 20 hours or whatever to sleep on it? Okay. so the question is, what do I do with the stock today? Let me first get this out of the way. If you don't own the stock, roll up your sleeves, do the homework on it and go buy the stock if that's what you really want to do. One heck of a bounce today, isn't it? I mean, non-existent. Okay, ready? 37 buys, three holds, zero sells. Average price target goes from 232 to 183.70. 183.70. I think stock is 111 right now. Okay. On the close today, I am going to sell the stock. Do you know why? CrowdStrike is overcrowded. I don't care about the fundamentals. I don't care about the cybersecurity thesis. Everyone knows the cybersecurity thesis. Everyone knows that's the strength of software. Everyone knows that you need to be a long-term investor. Don't give me the long-term investor angle. Long-term investing in buy and hold works in asset allocation, not in single stocks, because in single stocks you have idiosyncratic risk like I'm experiencing right now today. I don't want to have another meta on my hands. The falling knife scenario. I will very happily sell this stock on the close. The entire world could look at me and say I'm an idiot and I sold the low. I don't care. You have to have a risk management process in place. I deviated from it over the last several months. I told you off camera yesterday, I saw this coming last week. Mm -hmm. I could tell everyone owned the stock. It was completely overcrowded. I'll move to the sidelines on the close. Okay. So, Speaking of on the close, in overtime, Josh Brown's going to be with me, uh-huh. okay? Um, he has been a huge advocate of this stock, as all of you know. I have no idea what his position is today, but you can bet that I'm going to ask him as well in overtime, and we'll find out if he, in fact, is going the way of Joe, or maybe he's buying more, maybe he's not doing that, but sticking with it, we will find out. Surat, you have a move that we need to get to. You bought GlaxoSmith. Line. I did. So, so Glaxo spun off Halion, which is the consumer uh, business, kind of like what J&J is doing. Glaxo is trading at 10 times earnings, got almost a 5% dividend yield. The reason I like the stock for a couple of reasons, their earnings expectations for the next two years are going to be 10% plus. Secondly, what they're really pushing is the vaccine business. And the vaccine business for the last couple of years for anyone who has been selling vaccines has been has been very hard to do because everybody's buying the COVID vaccine. So they have one of the best shingles vaccines. So they have a good pipeline. It's 10 times earnings, 10% EPS growth, a good dividend. And I think it's under-owned because a lot of people are also, there's an overhang here on the stock because of Zantac litigation, which we just think the market is is overestimating. Okay. You also trimmed Lowe's, which we noted today got an a reiteration of its overweight rating at Morgan Stanley, 270 is the price target there. What, were you just taking a little bit off the table here or what? Absolutely. It was just taking some profits. We've owned it for a few years. It's done very well for us. We're going into this cycle where, look, people have spent a lot of money on their homes. You're not getting a lot of new buyers for homes. I think earnings are going to be just fine, but I needed to get capital to make new investments. So I thought, you know, this was a good place to take some money off. Okay. Up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his Midday Word Plus Pro Week is underway on CNBC.com. Coming up today, 3 Eastern, Omega Advisors, Leon Cooperman. You can go to CNBC.com slash Pro Talks. Halftime's back right after this.
back 40 minutes or so until Fed Chair Powell speaks today. Senior markets commentator Mike Santoli is at the New York Stock Exchange with his midday word. So that's the, the key backdrop. And then you got this Kalanovic note that hits right before we come on the air. Somebody who tried to be bullish for an awfully long time or certainly more positive than most who seems to have changed. Uh, and the, one of the chief worries, Mike, is that the Fed's going to over tighten. Yeah. No, I, and I think that, uh, or may already have, um, and I, I think that, to, to me, is how the probabilities are sliding around in general, week to week, month to month, and why, by the way, we fixate so much on what Powell has to say, because it does, to some degree, seem like a choice to go further and, and essentially err on the side of doing too much rather than uh, too little on rates. So I get that. Um, now, to me, uh, it's, it's still a question uh, as to whether we have enough of a buildup of nominal activity at the highs uh, in the consumer and you have enough savings and companies are decent balance sheets and we didn't get too over leveraged going into this that you can squeak through without it being devastating. You know, part of the market rhythms, too, I think a lot of people have the 2001 into 2002 experience in mind. You had a bear market year in 01. Uh, it was sort of like, OK, recession probable possible. Fed was tightening into it uh, for a while. And you had a late year rally in 01. And the coast wasn't clear as it happened uh, in 02. And I'm not going to map that directly onto this. But I think that's in people's minds. That's why fourth quarter earnings season and what the Fed does into early next year, I think is paramount uh, in, in, in the whole equation. I, I feel like as well that uh, almost by the day that the bar is getting higher for an end of year rally to occur. There are just so many headwinds in our face. You know, you, you get a reality check from Jassy in some respects, the Amazon CEO, you know, yes, the, the consumer is resilient and good and all of that, uh, but he's just giving you sort of the, the view of what's to come, uh, mm -hmm. you know, amid Fed speak that's still resilient in its own right. Keep at it until we're, the job is done is what the Fed governor had to say. Yeah, I don't know, to be honest, if the odds of, you know, a rally over the next three or four weeks uh, either is easy or hard, easy to handicap in the first place or has gotten less likely. What I do know is people are pretty hedged up right now. Put call ratios through the roof the last couple of days. People see that there are headwinds. Uh, and I don't think that anyone's necessarily uh, kind of over positioned for a melt up into year end. So maybe I would put that against. Uh, you know, what's out there in the headlines that says it might be tough to make further upside. Yeah, we're going to have a really busy overtime today. I'm glad you'll be a part of that. We'll see if you're last yep. word. Uh, Mike Santoli joining us there. Final trades are next. All right, Salesforce and Snowflake, those earnings are hitting in overtime today. Of course, we're going to react to what the Fed chair says in about 30 minutes' time. Jay Powell speaking today, his last time before the decision. Josh Brown with me, as I said, Dan Ives. you got the TikTok CEO speaking. We're monitoring that. So we got a lot going on. Carrie, Salesforce, real quick, expectation. Yeah, we're, they've set expectations low. Mm -hmm. There's margin expansion potential okay. and free cash flow 20 times forward. Give me a name for a final. Wobtech. Okay, name me. Disney? McDonald's. Joey? All right, good stuff. I'll see all of you in a few hours. The exchange begins now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower. 
the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.